You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Is Stephen here? I'm, I'm expecting a guest from uh, from Grace. He had some stuff he was doing this morning. Then he's going to come and join us. So he's not here yet. So are you cool? Can, do you need to go? Okay. Um, if he comes, then I'll send somebody to get you. So we just had a uh, uh, talking about City Fest uh, this past week. We had City Serve, uh, which is kind of a unique part of a. Um, of the new whole concept of um, evangelism and uh, uh, crusades and things like that. In the past, like a, a, a big name evangelist would come into a city and set up a tent or something in a central location and put the word out and then night after night they would have people that would come and you know attend to some uh, really great preaching and music and, and things like that. and. Um, for a while, for a long time, that was a, a really effective model. Um, but uh, things have changed over the last uh, few years, and uh, Luis Palau organization has been sort of on the forefront of that, in that before they come into a city, <clears throat> they meet with city leaders, and they just say, you know, how can we help? What can the church do to make a difference um, in the city? And that starts conversations about needs that are in the city that the church is equipped to handle or that um, the uh, uh, civil government is not uh, able to do or not uh, very good at doing. Um, different forms of serving, uh, different forms of uh, uh, connecting with people that are in need. And, um, and so that's the kind of the model that we're operating off of uh, with CityFest this year. Um, City Serve is an effort to address some of the, the really big uh, uh, issues in our community um, that the, we feel like that the church is uh, equipped to do that. And uh, the first uh, month, uh, of this, this month of uh, May, the emphasis is on uh, fostering uh, and adopting. And so um, Stephen uh, Wycliffe is going to be here uh, in a little while, and he'll give you some more information on that. Um, there is, that's Stephen, great guy. Uh, there is a meeting tonight um, at Grace, uh, uh, right up the road right here at uh, the old Jacksonville campus, um, at 6, o- 6 o'clock tonight. And that's going to be an information meeting and a time to uh, get more uh, insight as to how you can uh, be a part of this. Um, in order to support fostering and adopting uh, in our area, there's, there's more than just being a foster family or adopting a child. There's the whole support structure. Um, that comes around families that do that. Um, people that get trained to babysit so that foster and adopt um, parents um, are able to leave their children uh, with somebody that's qualified to, uh, to watch them. Um, uh, they're uh, making up uh, sort of care packages for uh, foster families, uh, and they'll be doing that during the month as well. And there's going to be some other activities. So um, just kind of to, to let you know, and you'll hear a little bit more about that in a little while. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're glad that you have joined us, and uh, just make yourself at home. Let the Lord speak to you, because I know He wants to do that. I'm starting a series um, today uh, on knowing uh, the fa- God's Father heart for you. Um, I'll tell you in a minute what my alternative uh, title for this series was uh, that I decided not to use, but uh, I'm going to tell you what it is anyway. Knowing God's Father heart for you. And this, this week I want to talk about identity and, and adoption. Our key scripture um, is from John uh, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Uh, and it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, 
He gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This scripture shows us we are, our relationship with God is one of adoption, okay? But it's a unique form of adoption in that there's a part of us that came alive that He is our Father. And we have earthly fathers, and we have earthly influences, and we were born into an earthly um, system. But the real you, the in, inner you, the part of you that came alive in, in a relationship with Jesus Christ he is the father of that. So that's what this uh, scripture is sort of uh, pointing out to us. And then Galatians chapter 4, uh, verses uh, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And this is contrasting the two experiences that we have. Now, in, in my case, I was raised um, by a good dad. He's a, he's a great dad. Um, I still love to be around him. Uh, he's lost a step or two. Uh, and uh, he's 85. He'll be 86 next year. No, he's 86. He just turned 86 in March of this year. Um, and he's had some physical, you know, challenges. Um, but w- when I get together with my dad, man, I just, I just love it. And he loves to be around me. There's nobody on the face of the earth that gets a bigger kick out of me than my dad, except possibly my wife. No, that's probably not true. My dad gets a bigger kick out of me than my wife does most of the time. Um, but he loves to introduce me. Like when we, he's, he's in assisted living, um, and whenever I go to see him, he's always um, sitting in the, um, uh, in the um, cafeteria area. He always has three or four um, older ladies around him. Um, or nurses, they, they just, you know, he just loves to be around, you know, people, and uh, he's, he still has a sense of humor, you know, but, I mean, he's lost some things, but the one thing that he's retained is, is his relationship with me and his love for me, and it's not just me, you know, because I've got uh, four brothers and one sister, and he loves us all the same. I'm his favorite. But, but he still gets, that's, that's one thing that remains, even as he ages and, and maybe he loses, you know, some of the things that he had before and some of his abilities and things like that, his love for me hasn't wavered one bit, hasn't changed one bit. And I say that to say that I have a good dad. I have an, I have an awesome dad. He's not perfect. He's a man. You know, when I got to be a teenager, I found stuff out about him that, made him just like he's just like a regular guy, you know? But he'll never be a regular guy to me because of the relationship that I have with him. But when I came to Jesus Christ, and when I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, I got the perfect dad. And this perfect dad doesn't tell me that my biological dad is of no consequence or doesn't matter anymore. He just says everything that you missed with this guy, good as he was, you get from me. And everything good that you got from him really came from my Heavenly Father. You see how this takes the pressure off of my, I mean, my earthly father? So now he can just be a dad and he can have his flaws and he can, he can, he can just be a real person, like a, a real person. And he's always going to be my dad, but he's not he is no longer the source of my identity exclusively. He's no longer the source of my supply. He's no longer the source of wisdom. He is a conduit to me that God has used in many different ways. And you see how that takes pressure off of my dad. My dad can just be my dad now. He doesn't have to be perfect. Because everything that I lack from him, I get from my heavenly father in abundance. It's a perfect combination. Our relationship with God is an adoptive relationship in that we are adopted out of a sin-drenched world into the family of God, and He is our Father. So this is an adoptive family, right? This is an adoptive family, right? Is that true? 
I wanted to title this, God's Not Mad, He's Just Being Dad. But on second thought about it, I thought, well, that might have some, you know, ramifications. But I think what I really wanted to address in this series is understanding God's Father heart for you. And if you had a good dad, then you know that there were times when you were a little bit afraid of him. You should have been. And there were times when he was angry. Can I say that? There was, if he's a good dad, there's going to be times... But God doesn't want us to live under this cloud like God's mad at me. I'm intensely aware of my failures and, and my shortcomings. And if you were raised with a dad like that, maybe he was a perfectionist, maybe he was, uh, you know, he was trying to control your life in an unhealthy way, uh, maybe you never could measure up. Maybe just no, no matter what you did, it was never enough. And I want you to know that your Heavenly Father is not that kind of dad. And if he does things that hurt, it's not because he's mad at you. If you're, if you're living under that, um, that cloud of guilt or, or misunderstanding of his authority, then every time something bad happens to you, you say, that's God getting me back. But listen to me. If God ever starts judging us, none of us are going to survive. And it won't be like hitting your finger with a hammer right? Or getting fired from a job. It's going to be a whole lot worse than that. He's not mad at you. He loves you. But he deals with you like a father deals with a good, with his child. A good father deals with the child. So this is an adoptive family. What I want to talk about this morning is four areas that families, adoptive families struggle in. And if you are an adoptive family or a, um, a fostering family, um, you know these firsthand. Um, Becky and I never adopted any kids, but because of the, uh, the um, widespread um, practice of adoption in our congregation, um, I've learned so much as a pastor from the families that have adopted. And these are some of the struggles that adoptive families have and that you have in your relationship with the Father, because you are adopted. You're going to be experiencing some of the same things that every adopted uh, child um, experiences. And they are four things here. This is not an exhaustive list, as I always tell you. Um, but these are the four salient points that I came up with through my study this week. Is self-image, um, what's called attachment, um, values, and conduct. These are the things that a family are going to shape into a child and are going to address in a child and that has unique challenges in an adopted family. These four things make up our destiny and our identity. Knowing who I am is not even as important as knowing whose I am. Because whose I am defines in a, to a large degree, who I am. When I first came to the Lord, I struggled with, my, um, with, with who I was and who I was going to be. I was a, a, a young man. Um, I was working in the oil business. Um, there was a ton of pressure. There was a ton of um, influences. Um, it's, it's just like any other human uh, uh, organization uh, or a human group of people. You know, there's some really good people in it, and there's some really bad people, and some really cutthroat people. Um, there's some really good lifestyles, and there's some really bad lifestyles. And I was in a position where I was choosing, you know, uh, like newly married, um, you know, who am I, and who am I going to be, and what am I, I going to be? And it was at that time, at that critical time, that I came to the Lord in a dynamic way, just a dynamite way. And all the pressure came off of me. When I came to the Lord, it was just like, have you ever heard it described like this? All the weight that I was carrying, and some of it I didn't even know I was carrying, all the weight came off of me. I just felt like a great big weight had been lifted. And one of those weights was the peace of mind of knowing who I was and what I was made for. I didn't have to earn it. And I didn't get it from myself. I didn't look within myself to decide who I was and to figure out who I was. I looked to my Heavenly Father. In His, in His eyes, I saw myself. And what He said that I was is what I am. 
And what he says that I, that I mean in my, the significance of my life is what it is. And it starts with love. It's not earned love. It's freely given love. If you're really in Christ, knowing who you, whose you are comes first. Further, because I had lived a life outside of this relationship with my real father for a while, when I came to the Lord, I had to learn who I was. And I had to unlearn some things. There were some things that I was doing and some ways that I was behaving that when I came into a relationship with him, I realized that's not me. I don't want to do that. I was working for a guy that was very difficult to work for um, in the oil business. And uh, I found early on in my relationship with this guy that when he treated me badly, if I would treat him badly, he'd get off my back. That's just the way the system worked. And when I came to know the Lord and I began to grow in my relationship with the Lord, the Holy Spirit convicted me of that. It was like, you can't talk to him that way. He's your authority. When he tells you something to do, you say, yes, sir. When he comes down hard on you, you receive the truth that's the truth, and that comes from the Lord, regardless of the vessel that God uses. If he's speaking truth into your life, then you embrace it as being from me, and you just let the rest of it go. I couldn't cuss him. I couldn't fight back. I couldn't threaten him. I couldn't have an attitude. couldn't do all of these things. Why? Because now my Heavenly Father said, this is who you are, Joe. This is who you are. And I had to unlearn some things. And it was a wonderful process. And it was very quick. And I, I got over that quick and got on with life. Now, I'm just, I'm just being facetious. You know that. It's a painful process because it's part of me. It's like, how do I deal with somebody that's abusive to me? You know, verbally abusive to me. I'm verbally abusive to them. And God's like, no, that's not the way we do it. Love him. You know what he told me to do? He said, pray for him. I've told this story before, but this morning in our uh, membership class, I was talking about just like the practical uh, application of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that's kind of where we are as a, as a congregation and as a body, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the manifestation of them is very um, practical. You know, it's like sometimes it'll blow your socks off. Most of the time, it's just like, you know, subtle stuff that just makes you better at being a parent, being a, a, a husband or wife, you know, being a student, being a, you know, a member of the congregation. It's like the Holy Spirit is working on the inside of us. Anyway, when I was uh, working for this guy, I, I was having a particularly hard time you know, with him, and um, if you know anything about the, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, the prayer that we pray in the Spirit, the Bible says that's the perfect prayer. Are you familiar with this? So it's like he is offering up the perf- perfect prayer to God. So I was struggling with this, having a hard time. I don't know about you, but sometimes God speaks to me in the shower, and I was in the shower, you know, and I was just praying, man, and I was I was praying, you know, for this situation and for this guy and stuff like that. And I began to pray in the Spirit. I couldn't understand what I was saying, but I was thinking that I was praying the prayer like, Oh God, you know, turn his heart. Oh God, break through his hardened heart and, and let him see your light. Oh God, you know, surround him with a, like a, a hedge of thorns that will turn him away from his... And, and all of this. And suddenly, as I was praying... The Holy Spirit dropped the interpretation into my heart. And you know what I was praying? I was praying, oh God, help Joe to be a godly man. Oh God, help Joe to walk in patience. Oh God, help Joe not to return evil for evil. I wasn't even praying for him. I was praying for me. And that's because my Heavenly Father was much more interested in me and the way that I was responding to the situation than he was in my version or my opinion of what I should, he should do to this guy. Blew me away. It was a, such a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, 
Adoptive families struggle with self-image. There were some things I had to unlearn, and there were some things I had to learn. But the main thing was to understand who I am in Christ. To understand not just who's, who I am, but whose I am in Christ. If you're really in Christ, knowing whose you are comes first. Once I became His, I, be, I took on a, an identity, a different identity, a an identity that I'm still learning, still exploring, still finding a depth, a depth to. I am, we, we sang this over and over again today, I am a child of God. You know, sometimes uh, people talk about, you know, uh, worship choruses, and, um, and they don't like songs like that. They don't like singing about, I am a child of God. They say, you should be singing about God. You shouldn't be singing about yourself. You ever heard anybody say stuff like that? Sounds kind of spiritual. But you know what? I am who I am because of who He is. And I should celebrate that. I should celebrate who I am in Christ. He gets a kick out of that because I am shaped by Him. I do sing about Him, and I do talk about Him, but I also talk about the incredible miracle of what He does when He got a hold of me. And He changed my identity. And there's a part of me that needs to be reminded of that over and over and over and over and over again. You can't get enough of that. I am a child of God because of His life-transforming unconditional long, love. Listen, there's a, there's a difference between belonging and becoming. You belong first and then you become. You belong first and then you become. An adoptive child needs to know that they belong. That's what they need to know. They need to know that they're not just staying in a house or living in a, in a place or that they have a room where they're allowed to be as opposed to this is my home. I belong here. There's been room made for me in this family and I'm a full functioning member of the family. And there's two sides to belonging. There's blessings and then there's what? Somebody said responsibilities. You know it, right? There's blessings, there's freedom, there's identity, there's all of these things, but there's also, in a good home, there's responsibilities. So let's talk about the blessings first. What's the greatest blessing of being a child of God? It's having Him as your Father. It's having ready access to Him. Stories told about the White House during the Civil War um, one, of the, one of the aspects of the White House was um, the Lincolns had se several kids that were young kids. One of um, Abraham Lincoln's sons uh, was named, named Tad uh, Lincoln. He was um, famously um, uh, boisterous and, uh, and active. And he ran throughout the White House, right? And at any given time, he could interrupt a cab cabinet meeting and go climb up on his dad's lap and sit on his lap. And Abraham Lincoln said, this is, this is he, was a, he was a very great dad. And he said, this is permitted. Everybody in his cabinet knew that the most important thing at that moment was Tad on his dad's lap. That's how your heavenly father is. That's one of the greatest blessings that you have, is you have ready access to your father's presence at any given time. You don't have to jump through any hoops you don't have to go through any lines. You don't have to qualify yourself or show your credentials. All you have to do is turn your attention to Him. Great blessing. Another is that we have favor with the Father. He said, ask anything in my name. Ask anything in my name. That's what He said. He said, Paul, Paul writes, my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. He didn't say out of His riches and glory. He said in the proportion that He has it, you have it. That's what it means to be a child of God. It means that when I come to Him, it's not, he's, he's not meager. He's generous. 
When I come to Him, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have to qualify myself. I let my, let my needs be made known to Him, and He favors me. He favors me. And I have an inheritance with Him. And the good thing about this with God is that we have access to our inheritance. Listen, there are great things coming for us. There are great things coming for us. But being a believer is not just all about the sweet by and by. That, those things that He has poured up for us, He's readily giving those things to us now. The Holy Spirit being one of them. Ready access to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit without measure. In the, in the Old Testament, they longed for this. There was little dispensations of the Spirit, but in the New Testament, He poured out the Spirit upon them. And that's what He gives us. This is one of the blessings that we have by calling Him our Father. All, he says, all that, uh, all that is mine is yours. But there are also responsibilities, right? Let me see, I think I've got... Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, it says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? One thing that, you, if, you, if you know anything about kids that have been abused or have been neglected, you know that they have the same challenges. Somebody that has been abused, like uh, physically or emotionally or verbally abused all of their life, is almost has almost the same problems as somebody who has been neglected all of their life that has not had the heavenly Father, and that's because they're two sides of the same coin. Because abuse is a form of neglect, and neglect is a form of abuse. And so, a child that's lived in a situation like that, never been, never been told. Uh, that they couldn't do something and never been empowered to do anything has that same mentality, which is a mentality of want, a mentality of thinking, I'm on my own, I have to make this happen. How does a child know that they belong? Because they're blessed and because they're disciplined. That's how a child knows he belongs is because his daddy tells him no. And if you're a mom or a dad today, I can tell you that's a key to understanding good parenting is your kids need to hear no. They need to hear no with good reason and it needs to not just be some arbitrary you know, thing off the top of your head. It needs to be rooted in the child's well-being but they need to be able to hear no and they get their identity from that. James Dobson used to tell a story about a kid that was uh, being disciplined, his, his mom took him out of uh, a shopping center, let's say Walmart, took him out to the car, and she is going at him about some behavior that he had been doing. She, at least she took him outside, right? And some lady is walking in the parking lot, and she hears this woman, you know, shouting at her kid, and she comes over, and she's like, you should not be talking to your child like that. Don't you know you're going to damage your child? And the child stopped in the middle of it and looked up at his mom, and she said, Mom, what's wrong with that lady? Because <laughs> the child knew. It's this, this is his identity. It's, it's like it's, he belongs. Somebody cares about him. Somebody cares enough to say, what you're doing is not right. Somebody cares about him to say, there's a standard for you. There's a standard for you. And I'm going to help you live up to that. Let's move on to the next one, attachment. Attachment issues, and, and attachment issues can be summed up, and I'm not, I'm not an expert in this, I'm just becoming more versed in it as I see different families that struggle with attachment issues. And if you have ever had a child, and it doesn't have to be adopted child's, uh, children either, but um, this is one of the things that a lot of adoptive families um, deal with, is attachment issues. In short, an attachment issue is the, is, hinders your ability to love, to receive love, or to give love. It's because you've been in a situation where you have not been taught and you've not, it hasn't been modeled for you that it's, it's right for you to trust this person. That you, you belong in the family. And this is not something that you can just say to a kid and a kid will go, oh yeah, okay, well now I get it. 
It's something that's got to be modeled. It's something that you have to recognize that they are challenged in this area. And I totally believe that that's one of the issues that most Christians face with their relationship with God because it's an adoptive relationship. It's because they look back on the way that it was before and they think that's the way that it is. And they don't understand that they live with a father and that they are free to love. And they are free to receive love from him. That they belong. Both loving and being loved. They struggle to form trusting bonds. This is a result of neglect and or, or abuse. We have to learn to be loved in order to love. I think we all in, enjoy being loved. And I think when, it, when, we, when we, it's just like one of those things from God that you don't have to explain it. When you feel it, when you see it, and you know it, you know that there's nothing like the love of God. Right? But we struggle with that. We struggle with living in the reality of that, that He loves us that much. That He cares for us that much. And not only that, but we also struggle with the ability to love. We want to be good at loving. We're just not very good at it. We're just not. You can say amen to that. And if you don't know that you're not good at loving, you, at least you know other people are not very good at loving you, right? And they're two sides of the same coin. There's something that God transforms our life with. Yes, He can be hard sometimes. And He can be difficult. And He can be, you know, confusing sometimes. When you think you're giving it your best and yet things are not working out the way that you... You know, when God disciplines, the way He disciplines me... I have rarely gotten what I deserved for what I've done. Rarely. So, but I'm not saying that God is a permissive father. He's not. He's not really permissive. It's just his form of discipline is very practical. And his form of discipline is very measured. It's not ranting and raving and going off on you. If you think that that's, that's a strict father, you're wrong. That's not necessarily a strict father. That's just a hothead is all that is. A strict father is one that has a standard and he keeps bringing you back to it. And he doesn't give up. And he doesn't quit. A strict father takes his word seriously. And he expects us to listen to his word and to believe his word. He takes his word seriously. And that's a healthy strict father. And that's what your heavenly father is too. Attachment issues. The next one is um, values. And Another way of saying values is virtues. He, he instills values in us. I've seen adoptive families, um, when the kids first come into the house, um, and it's always, there's always a transition time. Um, I've got families here that are far more experienced with this than I am, um, but comparing it to our spiritual relationship with the Lord um, is inst instructive, I think. There's a struggle that goes on when a child comes into a home because it's not just the home that he's coming into, but it's a set of values that he's coming into. And those values, either the child is going to bring in their values and that's going to predominate in the home, or they're going to come home and come into the home and these values are going to be instilled in their life. And when you come to God, that's exactly how it is. You come in with a certain amount of values. And some of those values are good. Some of those virtues that are in your life are good. They were, whether you know it or not, God had an influence in instilling those things carefully in your life. But some of the things that you come into that house, you come in and you have to learn those values. His values are eternal values. They're not temporary values. The things that we experience in the home, under God's fatherhood, we will live in forever. They're not going to pass away. They are eternal in nature as He is eternal in nature. Eternal values, tempor not temporal values. Permanent values, not temporary values. Paul says something like this. He says, if, if this is all there is, if there is no resurrection from the dead, what lifestyle does he say is the only sane lifestyle? Do you know? you remember? If this is all there is, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then what is the lifestyle that we should be living? 
eat, drink, right? Debauchery, all of that stuff. He's like, you're crazy if you're not doing that, if there is no resurrection from the dead. That's the values that we have in the world outside of a relationship with the resurrected Christ. Oh, but when we come into a relationship with the resurrected Christ, he begins to take issue with those things. He's like, these things are destructive to you. And they, it does matter whether you're destroying your life. He says, these things are not good for you. They're not healthy for you. They will destroy you and they will destroy your relationships. And so he takes issue with those things. Why? Because there's a permanent, there's, a, there's an eternity that he's fitting us for. Not just the temporary of just getting by you know, for a few minutes and then oblivion. Permanent. Eternal values. These are the values like sacrificial love. It doesn't make sense to lay down your life if this is all that there is. But if this is not all that there is, if we're living for an eternity, then this is the thing that doesn't matter. This is not all that there is. This is only one part of it, and it's a small part of it. And so I, feel I am free to live a sacrificial lifestyle. There's some families, and like, I don't know about you, but like when I was growing up and I'd go spend the night, you know, with my friends, first of all, my mom was a great cook. I know I've told you that before, but I can't talk enough about it, you know, because she was so awesome as a cook. Like what she would set for dinner for us, she was very thrifty, you know, frugal, um, but she always fixed something that was just like, uh, uh, it's a feast that I wish I had access to today, some of her cooking. I've learned how to make some of her dishes just because it reminds me so much of what it was like growing up. You know, her spaghetti sauce, um, I, well, anyway, I don't want to make you hungry. Um, but I would go to a friend's house. Literally, I went to a friend of mine's house to spend the night one time, and they sat down at the table, and the mom opened up a can of corn and set it down on the table for them to get some corn out of. Literally, I thought she was joking. I never spent the night at that guy's house again. I'm just like, what is this? Right? <laughs> Some people's house you go to and they set like a, a, a platter of fried chicken, you know, like in the middle of the table, and everybody's going for it because they got to get their peas before anybody else gets the peas. Everybody's got like a bunch of dogs, you know, rawr, you know? That's not a healthy home. There's plenty for you. And there's plenty for, of choice pieces for you. And it's not a competition. Like if I don't get it, somebody else is going to get it, or I have to get it. That's, that, that's all that there is to it. And if you grew up like that, I want you to know, God's love is sacrificial love. God's love is generous love. God's love is a supplying love. God doesn't just command us to love, but He loves us first. He, he is the source of that love. We love because we've experienced that love. When I do a, a wedding, a lot of times, that's what I'm, I, I talk to the bride and groom about, is that they come, to the, they come to that place of decision and that place of declaration, and they're saying, I love you, and, and they're saying this to each other. What they're describing to each other as believers is a love that is more than just a feeling. It, and how do they know what it means? How does a husband know what it means to love his wife? And how does a wife know what it means to love her husband? Because they have first been loved by their heavenly Father. And He has defined love for them. And when they love each other, they're not just loving out of a need, and they're not just loving out of a feeling or an emotion that passes. They're loving out of a love that they have first been loved with that enables them to love one another with, a, with an eternal love and an unconditional love and a sacrificial love. We love because He first loved us. We give before, because He gave first. And we serve because He served us first. So values. And then the last one is conduct. I was a strong-willed child. I was undiagnosed ADHD. And, uh, but my mom knew how to handle that stuff. She knew how to handle that stuff. 
And when I became, I used to butt heads, man. I butted heads with, with my mom and with my dad some, but mostly with my mom. Um, and when I became a Christian, I, the, one of the first conversations I had to have was with her. And she thought I had gone off the deep end, let me tell you. Because I told her, Mom, you were right and I was wrong. And I told her, and this is, I'm so serious about this. I told her, I wish you had been harder on me than you were. I'm so sorry that I made it so hard on you to do what was right. Because I know that you were doing what was right for my sake and for my good. She thought I was crazy, man. She thought this was a cult. <laughs> she thought TCF was a cult. <laughs> and she explained it like she said, well, there, I think there are a bunch of former drug users. And, you know, and I'm like, you need to meet Rodney. <laughs> You need to meet Rodney Simes. That doesn't fit the pattern, you know. But she welcomed it. She welcomed it. Because that was God ministering to me, and suddenly, again, the pressure was off of her. She didn't have to grit her teeth and try to make something happen. She saw that some, I got some internal direction. I got some internal understanding and illumination, some internal identity it was what she was always trying for from the external and she was really really good at doing that you see parents have to control their children's conduct because their their children's conduct just like there are you know the the fruit of the spirit there is also the work of the flesh and those two things are in opposition to each other and a parent's job is to control that stuff until the person can control themselves. Are you with me on this? You understand this? You, you guys know this stuff. I'm not, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. The parent's job is to make life so uncomfortable that the child wants to do what's right just to not have to be uncomfortable for a while. Right? And that's what the parent's job is. A parent's job is to hold the kid accountable and say, no, you cannot do that. And they're like, well, I want to do that. Well, you're not going to do that. But I feel like doing that. Well, I don't care what you feel like doing. You know? This is the way it is. And they have to be a bulwark. They have to be a strong foundation for that child. Because that child is going to grow up and they're going to begin to build on the foundation that has been laid. And if that foundation is soft, or is that, if that foundation is not sure, if that foundation is not secured on the Word of God, it will fail. And a parent that is giving a child the illusion that the whole world revolves around them, is setting that child up for a really painful existence. One of the things I want to talk about in this series is, um, is discipline and, uh, and, and godly discipline. Specifically, how do we relate to authority? And I remember um, Johnny telling me about one of his kids that went to, uh, into the military and, uh, and his experience in boot camp. You remember telling me about that? And so like, he, he goes to boot camp and he's in with all of these guys from all over you know, the United States and the, 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 the drill sergeant would say for, his, for this kid to do something, and he would do it. And everybody was just amazed. Like, how do you do that? How do you follow authority? And he said, that's the way my dad raised me. That's the way my dad raised me. That's a good dad. To teach them to relate in a healthy way to authority. Where they don't, they're not having a hard time overcoming their, their own you know, self-worth and all of this, and somebody ordering them around. There used to be an order around, Right? And they're ordered around until they come to a place when they can control themselves, when they can order themselves around, and they can order their own life. Accordingly, God's given them the tools to understand authority and to relate in a healthy way to authority. All right, we're going to quit. Um, Stephen has made it this morning. Yes, I got him. So um, I was going to get Becky Burton to introduce um, Stephen, but um, once, somebody go get Becky. And um, she's going to come in and introduce. Because Becky is our um, liaison to the uh, foster and adopt. She's on the um, foster and adopt team um, with the uh, City Fest organization. So she's going to be giving us more information. If you have questions about the foster and adopt effort or how you can plug into that, um, you talk to Becky Burton, um, and she'll be able to uh, tell you. But I'll, I'll just tell you a little bit about my experience um, with Stephen Wycliffe. Um, he is the missional life pastor um, at Grace, associate pastor um, at Grace um, OJ, well, Grace Community, for the whole, the whole organization. Um, so his job is to be involved in stuff like City Fest, but they've been doing this stuff for years, man. I mean, you know, I'm amazed at Grace Community Church. Um, a long time ago, they made a decision, instead of growing up, 
that they were going to grow out. They were going to they were going to like start different campuses with pastors that are like functional pastors, not just like you know figureheads, but they're functional pastors at their different um, locations. So instead of it being like a big unwieldy organization, it's a bunch of sort of families of faith that all relate to each other. And Stephen. Um, serves in that. And I just love being around this guy, man. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, he is really good at what he does. Um, and the stuff that he's going to share with you today, um, he shared at the, um, the City Serve uh, meeting this past week. And I, I talked to him afterward and I said, man, if you would just share that stuff, that's compelling. That's the stuff that we need to hear. So um, Becky Burton is going to come and introduce. And let's give uh, Becky a good welcome. <clears throat> All right, so we are, hello, we're so excited to have our actual, it's our, he's our neighbor. He's just from Grace Community Church right down the road. He's our literal neighbor, um, but he's also just involved all over the world. He's their associate pastor, uh, their missional pastor. So he's been to over 30 different countries doing mission work, trying to help different cultures understand the gospel and how it impacts them. Um, he's been in ministry for almost 20 years. And what I love is that, um, you know, he understands that missions is not just all over the world, even though he's traveled all over the world. He knows mostly it's right here where we are in our own very own community. And so he's plugged in to seeing missions within our own community, missions with hurting children um, who need the love of Christ, just like someone in Africa or someone um, anywhere else in the world, South America, anywhere that he's gone. He knows that same stuff applies here, and he's helping the church learn to live that out. So you guys give a big welcome to Stephen Wycliffe. Thank you. Thank you. Rojo, uh, thanks for having me here. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to come and share kind of bouncing around all over. Tyler was at our University Boulevard campus this morning and then drove over here. Not too fast, though, So, but fast enough. I got his text and I was like, oh, gosh, I better hurry. Anyway, it's a privilege to be with you. Yeah, so uh, it, it, City Fest, City Serve, if you don't know, if you're not sure what City Fest is, I'll just say real quick, go to cityfest.org. Um, great explanation there. And then that can also take you to the calendar for everything that's happening with CityServe. But I'm one of the chairs with uh, CityServe, and our heartbeat with CityServe is to say, we want to serve the city. We want to love people where they're at. We want to meet them where they're at. We want people to know the names of their neighbors. We want people to know the names of their coworkers. And so that's the heartbeat behind CityServe. And for the next five months, Every month, we're going to have an initiative that we're focused on. And for the month of May, that's foster care and adoption. And so that's what leads to me being here with you this morning. And I, I received some statistics. Um, on Tuesday night, I was sharing it with a group of leaders uh, from around the, the region, really, and statistics on foster care within our community. And the, the region leader for um, CPS, I think it's like DFPS now, but, but basically she sent me these statistics uh, about 10 minutes before I went up, and th these statistics so are about five days old now, um, and they change constantly. But think about this. Foster children, the average foster child in our region spends 28 months in care. There are currently, this blew me away, there are currently 455 children in our region that are available for adoption right this minute. In foster care right now, there are 1,000 children under the age of five in our region that are currently in foster care. There are 700 children ages 6 to 13 that are currently in foster care. And there are 300 ages 14 to 17 that are currently in foster care. So approximately 2,000 children in our region right now are in foster care. And 82% of children in foster care, paid foster care, end up being placed outside their home county because there are not enough homes available to be placed within. So in Smith County, 82% get placed outside of our county. And that's something that we as churches together, we're trying to change that. And so this month, uh, you can see the, the slide there. Tonight is really the, the launch of events that we're going to be doing throughout this month. We're, we're partnering with the Fostering Collective. Uh, if you know Justin Hayes or Christy Sal, we're partnering with them to say, how can we educate people, make them aware of this, and give them 
on-ramps to say this is what it could look like. So tonight at 6 o'clock, just down the road at our old Jacksonville campus, we've invited the entire region to come and to hear about the need and hear what you can do. And you might be thinking, well, okay, I don't want to foster and I don't want to adopt. Okay, if you're not there, that's okay. It's not just for people that want to foster or adopt. There, there will certainly be resources for that. But if you say, hey, I, I just want to know how I can help, then come. There are so many different ways that you can help in this, surrounding families that are fostering, loving them well. We have some on-ramps where you can get engaged even starting tonight with that. So that's tonight. Next, this upcoming Tuesday uh, at KVE, we're going to be gathering to pray from 12 to 1 at the KVE Studios. You're welcome to join us at that. You don't need to register for that. And in fact, you don't need to register for tonight either. Just show up at 6 o'clock. Then on the, the Saturday, the May 18th, we're asking churches to rally together to serve foster families, adoptive families, for them to come together from 5 to 7.30 on May 18th to celebrate together. And we're asking churches to come out and serve in that capacity. And then I believe it's on May 30th, we are doing... Um, or we're offering an orientation event for those who want to be able to provide child care or babysit a child that's in foster care. That's going to be at Central Baptist Church. And then the other part of that that I'm really excited about is to say we are going to help churches in the process of becoming foster-friendly churches. And I, and I can speak for grace is that we're making strides in that direction, but there's still so much we can learn to make foster families feel welcome when they come into our church. And so that's a big part of what we're doing. And ultimately, through all those things, what do we hope? Our hope is that every church within the region that's partaking in City Fest, if, that they would all send at least one family to say, we want to foster children. And then beyond that, we're hoping that churches will say, we want to provide multiple families that will wrap around our foster care families. We call them wrap-around families. And our hope in all of that is that, beyond that, that we reduce these numbers. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could look at that number, the 84% that currently get placed outside of our county, and they could all be 100% could be placed in the county where they originate? It's huge because the stress and the transition on the children that get placed elsewhere is, is beyond what many of us could imagine. So I encourage you to come, be a part of What's happening tonight, we'll, we're going to have all the details for you there. We'll have handouts there as well. And if you want more details on throughout the month, something I share, just go to cityfest.org or you can visit cityserveeasttexas.org. The information's on both of those sites. But thank you for the opportunity to share about this very real and important need in our community. It's a great opportunity for the church and our region to rise up. So thank you. All right, and uh, can you hang around for a little while in case anybody has, if you have questions, you can talk to, uh, to uh, Stephen. <clears throat> Let's stand together. I want us to um, uh, spend a few minutes just praying for, um, several months ago we began uh, just identifying five people that we wanted to pray for. Um, we want to just revisit that right now. Maybe some of the, I, I saw some, heard some immediate um, responses to this of people just having breakthrough, people that, we're somebody's on somebody's list of five that just had tremendous breakthroughs. Maybe you haven't seen that. Maybe you have somebody else you want to put on the list. Let's just pause for a minute and identify five people that need the Lord, whether they already know the Lord or whether they totally don't know the Lord, but they need the Lord. They need breakthrough. They need transformation. They need purpose in their life. They need a, a heavenly father. Um, that makes all the difference instead of uh, the limitations of an earthly father. Just think of that for just a second. Thank you, Lord. Now just let, think of the first person on the list and just think of the, what do you think is the key need? Maybe the Holy Spirit will give you some insight here. And just pray for just a second for that need that that person has. Pray for him by name. Move on to the second one. Just 
just the, the, maybe the, the big thing that stands out to them, uh, to you about them. And pray for them. Pray for them by third person on the list and the same thing hallelujah fourth person I know this is going fast but this is just something that we're doing to just remind ourselves of what we're praying for. I just hope that this is a part of your every day, every morning prayer or afternoon or evening. Pray for the fifth person. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we just lift these names up before you, Lord. There was a time, Lord, when our name came up before you. Whether it was somebody who was interceding for us or whether you just had set your affection upon us, uh, Lord, and transformation came. We became a child of God. Some of these may know you, Lord, to some degree, but they desperately need to know you better. They need to know you closer. They need to be brought back in. They need to be healed. They need to be restored. They need to be reminded. And your Holy Spirit is a great reminder of who you are. Some of them have never known you before, Lord. We're praying for miracles, and we don't even know how you're going to do it, Lord. But we're believing. We, we, have, we have faith, Lord, that we have favor with you. That you have said to ask, and we are asking, draw them to yourself in ways that only you can. Surround them with witnesses, Lord, just like you do with us sometimes, where we'll, we'll see something and then we'll hear it confirmed through another person and, and reiterated through another person. Surround them with that kind of stuff, Lord. They might see it as a coincidence, but they'll know that there's something deeper going on than just a crazy coincidence. Finally, Lord, I ask that you would give us opportunity to be a part of this process with them. If all we can do is pray, that's the most powerful thing we can do. But, oh God, what a delight it would be for us to have a meaningful conversation with them. Whether to confirm what you're doing, Lord, or whether to introduce what you want to do. Oh God, give us a place to be able to speak into their lives. We're not just passively praying, Lord. We're saying, send us, use us, um, Lord. We thank you for it. And finally, Lord, I pray that there would be a, a great rejoicing in this congregation as we begin to talk about the things that we're seeing you do, Lord. As we begin to celebrate those things and not be so cool about it, Lord, but to get excited about it. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would send us into the harvest. And I pray for City Fest, Lord, as we go forth and as we go tonight, Lord, to this meeting. I just pray, Lord, that you would bless City Fest, Lord. I just pray that you would bless City Serve. Uh, Lord Jesus. When I hear that there are kids being sent to other places, I'm like, what other places have more churches than Tyler? Why, why would that be the thing to, to send them? Where are they going to send them? How could, there not, how could there be another place that has more people willing to serve and more people available? Oh God, raise up an army here. Raise up a, a house here. Raise up a safe place here, Lord Jesus. For these broken children, Lord, to rescue them, Lord Jesus. I know you have a destiny. You have a call upon their life. You have a, you have a kind intention toward them, Lord. And I pray that you would use us, Lord, to bring that about. Bless the efforts of City Serve, Lord Jesus, both now and as we approach uh, October, Lord. And finally, Lord, I pray that every single person in this congregation, every single person that's a part of us, Lord, would be a part of what you're doing in the city of Tyler, outside of these walls. Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. God bless you, and you're dismissed.
He's, um, he's from, are you from Maine? 